0: Welcome to Ink's The Founder's Project with Alexa von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnVast, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with a top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Alexa von Tobel, and this week I want you to meet Jason Gardner, founder and CEO of Marketa, the global standard for modern card issuing. Jason started Marketa in 2010 to empower the world's most innovative companies to bring game-changing payment card products into the world. Last year, Marketa processed over $110 billion across 39 countries, and Jason took the company public in June of 2021. Marketa has been named one of Forbes FinTech 50 and on CNBC's Disruptor 50s list. Marquetta is Jason's third company. He previously co-founded PropertyBridge, the leading payment and transaction platform for multifamily real estate, and Vertical Think, an IT management company. And with that, let's welcome Jason. Hi, Jason.
1: Alexa, thank you for having me.
0: Jason, let's just start with the basics for everybody out there. What is Marquetta in your own words?
1: Marketa is a platform for companies that want to build card products like Visa, MasterCard card products. They can be for commercial use cases. They can be for consumer use cases. They can be actually physical plastic cards like Visa and MasterCard cards like the ones in your wallet. They can be tokenized to fit in Apple Pay or Google Pay or Samsung Pay or they can be virtual cards. And our customers build products to either... Uh, solve a a use case that supports their core business or the cards could actually be their core business. So we got started back in 2010 and uh, took the company public about a year ago and we operate in 39 countries, close to 900 people and have customers across the globe. Can we go back
0: to 2010 um, when you really got the business up and off the ground? Was there an aha moment? How did you see this so clearly back then? Or was it one of these businesses where you kind of saw the whole, saw the white space and as you dug in, it continued to get bigger and bigger.
1: What you see today was not what I saw back in 2010. Um, what I saw back in 2010 was this cool idea, which was putting a bunch of Groupon coupons on a card. Uh, I was eating sushi with a friend in San Francisco, and, and uh, I had just sold my last company and was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. I knew I wanted to do a payments company. And he said, well, I have all these Groupon coupons in my pocket. Why don't you try to figure out how to put them on a card? And and for me, that was like, whoa, this is a really good idea. And I became very intellectually curious on how cards work, like the credit cards or debit cards in our wallets. And uh, I was on this mission to go solve that and to go build that. I had to build what's called an issuing processing system, which I knew nothing about at the time. And the process of figuring out how to go build that led me to what you see today, uh, which is what we refer to as modern card issuing. It's something that Marquetta did invent, and we now find it all over the world at this point.
0: Can you just walk us through for maybe all the people out there listening to this that are not as well-versed with what that means? What does that mean?
1: What that means is you're building your own cards on a platform using well-documented APIs for Marketa. And that card uh, solves a use case. Uh, it could be commercial or consumer use case. It can be different types of cards, different categories of cards. And this all came out of when I wanted to figure out how to put a bunch of Groupon coupons on a card. I had to go to a bank to figure out, like, how do I even get a card? And what the bank would say, this is many banks. I talked to a lot of different ones. They said, yeah, if you want to build a debit card or a credit card or a prepaid card, uh, here it is. You know, it's a widget. It just comes off a production line and you got to figure out how to kind of shoehorn it into your business. And And I thought it was just sort of silly that you had to go to a bank to go solve a sometimes a complex technological problem. It was much easier to go talk to a tech company to go solve that problem. And what we did is we completely flip the model. So the bank is completely in the background and all the technology is out front. And that's what modern card issuing is, is the ability to basically build your own products to solve essentially your own business problems. And that could be servicing a constituency. It could be what Expensify uses it for, which is expense management or what Ramp uses it for, or how do I spread my wings as a buy now, pay later company and reach millions of merchants Uh, We give them the ability to do that so that the buy now, pay later space, companies like Affirm and Klarna can really spread the wings and, and do good work.
0: Can you just give us a sense of what it looks like and feels like to be a customer?
1: So I think a lot of the people listening to this share probably how I have always felt that payments is deceptively complex. It's not just about technology. You just don't go out and move money in one way, shape or form. Uh, there's there's the technology, and that is absolutely complex. Um, moving money is something that's very personal to both consumers and businesses. Like, you know, if you have money in a bank account, you want to make sure that it's there until you decide to go use it. Then you have all of the rules and regulations. So the movement of money or payments is a very heavily regulated space. There's the payment card industry it's themselves. There's every country is different in regards to how money is handled for their citizens or how money is handled for the businesses within their borders. Uh, then in here in the U.S., you have different ways of moving money. You have cards, you have ACH, credit unions. You have large financial institutions. You have companies that build credit cards. You have the FinCEN. You have FDIC, OCC, Secret Service. You have the CFPB. So you're talking about a technology that is deceptively complex, which is payments. You have this regulatory environment, which is complex and immense in its own right. Every single country is different. Then you have all of the complexity and compliance with how you deal with money, how you work with people, what data you're showing, what data you're not showing. Uh, So running a business like this is absolutely deceptively complex, but that's something as an entrepreneur that I love. I love things that are complex, and I can break them down in different fashions, and then find product market fit and service service our customers.
0: Where did you start? Like, have you always been that comfortable with just diving into the deep end and figuring things out? What gave you the comfort level to go dive in?
1: Actually, it was very uncomfortable. There, there really was no comfort level because everyone I spoke to told me that I had to go build an issuing processing system and that I shouldn't do it. That it's very hard. People don't build these things, and, and that and the evidence is there. There's thousands and thousands and thousands of acquirers across the world. These are acquirers of companies like uh, Adyen, Checkout.com, uh, Stripe, Mali, uh, Dlocal. And then there's like 200 of these issuing and processing systems. You know, this, this is hardcore payments technology. And I'm not an engineer. I don't write lines of code, but I know how to go build complex systems. So I had a lot of people telling me, this is crazy. Nobody build these things. You have no idea what you're doing. You don't even know what an instrument processing system is. So I have, as a, as a even a little kid, I had really, really strong intellectual curiosity. So I needed to go figure it out. I didn't like that everyone's telling me that I couldn't do it. So I wanted to figure out if I could do it. And I felt because I wasn't in a box in regards to what I could or couldn't do with an instrument processing I figured if I could build it from scratch with a lot of really smart people, we could reinvent it in a way. And, and that's exactly what we did. So the stupidity of thinking you can go build something that no one built before is why we were able to do it. Uh, and it took us a good two and a half years to simply go build a system that even worked.
0: In your mind, how many different versions of Marquetta were there? Were there any moments where you had to make a very big concerted bet that got you to where you are today?
1: Oh, yeah. We actually bet the company on it. So there's two versions, two major versions, the one you see today and then the one that was the original version of Marketa, which was how do I put a bunch of Groupon coupons on a card? So it started because we had to build an issuing processing system from scratch. The core of Marketa you see today is exactly what we built in, in the beginning. So the infrastructure or technology part of it. So we actually built the technology, we built the issuing processing system to go solve the many Groupons on a card. So to prove that we could do it, we actually had our own card called the Marketa card. We went out, we sold to consumers, hey, you know, pay in advance for your groceries and get a five to 7% return. So spend $500, get 35 more. It's a whole bag of groceries at the time. And we're convincing consumers that this was the new way to pay, which we called sort of pay in advance. And it used... The same technology you see today, obviously more advanced because of over time you just build, build more technology features and functions. And we went out there and we built this card. So we get this call in 2012 from Facebook and and uh, I actually thought it was a joke. I had to call them back because I thought it was one of my friends from Jersey making fun of me. <laughs> and I... Uh, uh, we got a call, and they said, uh, you guys, uh, you know, we're 19 people, and they're like, everyone's talking about you build this technology that didn't exist before, or Facebook, it's uh, your birthday, 100 friends, want to send you 100 different gift cards at 100 different merchants. We wanted to all to live on one card, like, like Groupon's on a card. And um, they they tested the system, and it worked. And so we were behind the Facebook card. So if you type in Facebook card, uh, you're going to see this Discover card. It still exists on the internet. And... We fell in love just working with engineers and product people. Um, it didn't. I didn't, really didn't like working with consumers. Uh, I became very argumentative with people. Like you know, nothing in life is guaranteed. You're getting a seven percent return on your money. What are you nuts? And <laughs> I just found that I was not really good at it. I was good at the infrastructure and technology piece. So uh, they started building, and then eBay called, and we basically shut down everything on the consumer side and poured everything into our open APIs. And that was the big bet. And that's essentially what you see today.
0: What technology or types of companies that do you think that will spring up? Like you clearly have a pretty clear perch of where the world is headed. Tell us about what you see.
1: Visa and MasterCard have interconnected every single merchant on the globe, online or offline, that wants to accept payment cards. So that's, that's a very unique network of networks, and more people exchange paper money than really any other form of payment around the world. But as we found, governments are getting into the game. You know, they're like India building UPI. You know, they're, they're finding that they want to get into more uh, modern money movement. We're seeing this a- across Asia. Uh, we certainly see even in the U.S. it's still growing by 5 percent. Uh, Europe's growing by 8 percent. Uh, percent. This is the usage of cards. So it's it's a global phenomenon and it's still continuing to grow. What we're finding is that people are moving away from physical plastic and using phones more and more these sort of digital credentials. We even see it now. You know, there's a number of states uh, are, that are testing your driver's license on your phone through the, the Apple wallet. So we see a lot of this coming. There's other ways of moving money, but they're relatively slow, like an ACH you know, if I want to go pay a bill, it takes you know almost seventy-two hours or so for that to show up. If I want to print a check, it's it's at least a week. Uh, so now, through this system that Visa and Mastercard has built through uh, their associations, which was many years ago, there there's tens of thousands of banks that have gotten together uh, to work both on the acquiring side for the merchants and then the issuing processing side with the cards themselves. So. That is just continuing to grow. Something coming in and somehow unseating that uh, in the future is incredibly hard to fathom. Now, I think what the networks need to do is they have built this very unique railroad around the world, both online and offline, need to find under other uses for it other than just uh, building card products. And that's where I think we're going to find you know, this massive growth in the next few decades uh, in regards to uh, not only issuing processing, but uh, electronic payments.
0: Are there certain areas that excite you most or that you feel like are going to get, you know, as you fast forward, that are just more obvious to to what you see?
1: There's still a ton in cards. I still think that the ability to identify yourself on a network, which is basically what you're doing. So when you go shopping, whether online or offline, you know, you're like, you're in Manhattan and you go to Whole Foods and you want to go tap your phone. You just identified yourself on the network. Uh, you're identifying your uh, who you are, uh, which which merchant you're at, what you're essentially buying, all the fraud signals around that, making sure you are who you are, uh, identifying whether you have good funds available, could be prepaid or debit, or do you have a line of credit that's available at you know the institution where you have your credit card. Uh, if all of that is true, uh, then your transaction is authorized, and you move on your way. So. I think the part that I am becoming more and more interested in in that I like is is that initial identification. So, uh, you know, there still continues to be a lot of fraud around the world. And that identification is really key. That's tied to a ledger. uh, It's tied to speed. It's tied to fraud signaling, you know, making sure you are who you are. And then having whether those goods funds available uh, tied to your account or a line of credit or it could be crypto, it could be rewards. There's a whole host of different things. But that initial point of identification is really mission critical and it's gonna become more important as time goes on, especially as we we kind of move out of the pandemic and begin traveling like we used to travel beforehand uh, and making sure that your identification, that credential of yours is solid, it's protected, and it's key to uh, your personal movement of money.
0: Right now, many, many, many founders listening to this are terrified. yeah, right? Uh, i had somebody tell me today, capital doors are closed for many categories of capital right now. What advice would you have?
1: I found my confidence in leverage. Uh, I knew that I had a customer uh, that needed to me needed me to deliver, and that was leverage. and and that my ability to deliver was based on my ability to raise money. And not only did I have that leverage, I also had a bet that I made with one of my investors that I don't know if I've I've talked about this before, but uh, he said, go raise $100,000 in three days from somebody you've never met in a week from somebody you've never met. I raised $500,000 in three days from somebody I never met. Uh, And I love that. I like love the, the bet. Uh, I feel like as an entrepreneur, you know, people have been always sort of betting against me and I love a great challenge. So I had the leverage that I had to go deliver for a customer. And then I had a challenge of go out and raise this money and we'll start writing checks. And and I did it. And I was able to raise, I think uh, our Series C was $27 million. And, And the reason why we almost ran out of money is I had completely changed the strategy and direction of the company. So remember, shutting shutting down all of these consumer products, pouring everything we had into issuing and processing, global, you know, a, a monitor card issuing or the platform itself, because I was starting to see the magic of product market fit. You know, we were talking to a lot of different companies about what they wanted to go build, and we had a unique system that allowed them to go and build it. And now we had to really think differently. It's a different technology. It's all, all sorts of different things to go out and build this. And uh, we hadn't hit our milestones. So I couldn't necessarily point to something around execution. You just had to believe. And, and the company believed, I absolutely believed. And I had leverage in those last few weeks of literally running out of money uh, and solve that in a relatively short period of time. And then right after 2016, the company took off like a rocket ship. I was paying for my mortgage on credit card checks.
0: In 2021, you obviously took the company public through COVID and everything, had a massive milestone. So just congratulations on having a massive last year. I'd love just a quick reflection on like, what was that experience like for you?
1: It was amazing. I sat down with the team and the board and, and you know, you, you decide you're going to go public about 18 months before you actually go public. That's actually a good amount of time to do everything that you need to go and do. I never, it was never like a milestone. I never thought like, oh, I want to go build a public company. And I'm the founder, I'm the chairman, I'm the CEO, and I'm a largest shareholder. So it's really up to me to decide what I want to go do. And the fun part of it was actually talking to other entrepreneurs that took companies public. And, and I got a lot of really good insight on, on what their thinking was, which was similar to mine, which was, We're all entrepreneurs like you and I do it for the experience. Like we actually go love going and building our own things from scratch. And this felt like another piece in that. Like it's it's like climbing a mountain or something like that. So I decided this is what I want to go do. And in the process, I fell in love with it. I'm a very disciplined person. So I love the discipline of the process of going public. I love the roadshow. I love the roadshow so much. I actually told the bankers I, I would do this for another day. One of the most joyful times of my life. It was. It was really, really fabulous.
0: You said that one of the mistakes that you made in your previous companies was not working asynchronously, uh, meaning people all can work on their own schedules and people can get all their work done around the clock. How have you created an async work environment with Marquette, especially now that you've scaled to nine hundred plus employees and you're growing every day?
1: The first three principles of the company was number one is hire subject matter experts. So hire really smart people. the thing you need them to go and do second is 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 just radical transparency so so they should know everything that I know about the company other than HR issues and obviously this is different as a public company and three is is work asynchronously as possible which is a little different than we see today which is don't have offices so everybody is in one big room and that's the way we did it in the early days and when we had our first office in Emeryville was everybody's together So everybody would hear my meetings. They would hear what I was talking about. I could hear what they were talking about. And it allows you to communicate in a way where everything, everyone knows what's going on. And I always felt that if everyone knew what was going on, they would know how to fix it themselves. And we saw that, like people coming up to me or going up to each other and say, hey, I have an idea for you, or I know a resource for you, or we should go hire this person. So it's very different today. Like we, we missed that because of the pandemic, which is now we don't necessarily have offices. Like we have to go work at home. So we missed that async piece. So now we're dependent on email or Zoom or Slack, and we have to put a lot more effort into actually having meetings and having time. But you also at the same time need to give space for people to actually do work. So it's quite different than it is today. I I, I miss not being in an office. I get my energy from other people. And when you're running around an office that looks like a beehive, because there's so many people running around and so much conversations going on, that energy drives a lot of what you can do. So now you have to find ways where clearly the world has changed in regards to how we're going to work now and and even in, in the foreseeable future so. We're finding lots of different ways to, to foster that because you're missing that async, uh, that async piece.
0: And we'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on For Starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close a round. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suites helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Did your parents do something in retrospect or your, somebody in your family that you really hold on to that you think made such a huge difference in the way that you managed yourself throughout your life?
1: I just like a, a bunch of different things. I have a pre eclectic family. You know, my mom's been married four times. My dad's been married three. I grew up in, a, in Monmouth County, New Jersey, which is a, the shore. You know, it's a, it's a crazy place in and of itself. Um, I always, as a little kid, liked hustling people for money. So, you know, had lots of odd jobs like picking weeds or shoveling driveways when it snowed. Um, I always liked that. I, my mom was always said to me, "You know, it's Saturday at eight thirty. I don't want to see you until dinner." Like I, I was very much a latchkey kid. My mom would just say, "Get lost and and go with her friends and just be back in time for dinner." So, that freedom uh, allowed me to explore a lot of different things as a kid. And something my mom always instilled in me was she's like, you can do whatever you want. And I remember being a little kid of like, what are you talking about? And she's like, you can do whatever you want. You can be rich. You can be poor. You can live in another country. You can be a doctor or a lawyer or you can work in a grocery store. Like, that's the cool thing about life is you can really decide to do whatever you want to do. It is totally up to you. And I don't think I really understood that until... After college, I backpacked Europe for four months, and the level of freedom I felt around backpacking around and sleeping in train stations and sleeping on trains, I was living on $25 a day with one of my best friends in the world, Brian Morse, and that level of freedom made me understand of I could really do anything that I want, and that's why I started my first business when I was, you know, my first. I had a number of little small businesses, but my first sort of technology business when I was 27. Because I finally realized, like, I don't want to be working for other people. This is my life. I can do what I want. I'm going to go start a business. And it failed miserably. (laughs) But I learned a lot in that failure.
0: Where do you think that sort of motivation and passion comes from? Do you just have it? Do you think it's something that you've gotten better at over time? Where does that come from?
1: In the beginning, you sort of find your way. In In the early days, you sort of fake it till you make it. Like, you don't really know what to do as your business is beginning to grow And you talk to people but it's it's like they're speaking in another language they sort of tell you the things that you need to be doing but you don't feel it in your heart and once you feel it in, in your heart and you begin to execute and execution is a lot about discipline like focusing on the right things at the right time hiring the right people saying no and saying yes at the right times and that that comes about discipline and then that builds confidence and it's that confidence that once you understand the path that you're on, the things that you need to do, yes, you'll make mistakes. And the inside joke is actually building companies is about a lot more mistakes. And sometimes you'll make those mistakes two or three times before you really understand uh, and that you shouldn't be making them anymore. And I think that's where my passion comes from, is the confidence that I can actually do this. And this is my third company. And I can do it. I can build a public company. I can service customers. I think mostly I just care a lot about other human beings. And that gives me a lot of confidence to do what I do every day, because it's it's very emotionally and physically draining building businesses.
0: You once said something that being an entrepreneur is like being struck by lightning. Uh, it's not, you find an idea, the idea finds you. Was there a gut feeling, like, or was it instant? Was it one of those things where you're like, Wow, that's a really good idea. Or did it take days or weeks or months to nurture? Like, give us a sense of how that worked for you in in your
1: life. Yeah, I'll talk about the you finding an idea. It's like you're searching for something in the dark and you got to feel passionate about it. It has to be like there's fire coming out of your eyeballs. I mean, you're literally going to ground yourself into a fine powder by building a business. And like (laughs) you need to be really excited about waking up every day to go and build this business and i've always found it sort of hard to come up with an idea and a lot of the ideas that have found me is is more serendipitous property bridge was my my last company was sitting uh, with a friend at the rockridge cafe in oakland and i was literally moving to australia to start something called crocodile coolers which was like the jamba juice chain of australia out of bondi beach (laughs) <laughs> and he said, uh, you know, I, I was thinking about, you know, what if we started a business where some people could pay rent with a credit card or pay rent electronically? And I was like, oh my God. Like, so I just was struck by light. And I'm like, I'm, I am not moving to Australia. I'm doing that. That is a really good idea. And same thing with Marquetta, you know, Hey, why do not you try to figure out how to have a bunch of Groupon coupons on a car? And it's just like, oh my God, like literally this air just got sucked out of the room and I'm holding onto the table thinking oh my God, that is an amazing idea. That's what I'm going to go do. So that passion of just feeling electrified by an idea, because that idea basically has you, is what drives me.
0: I'm going to ask you just quick questions. First thing that comes to your mind, you're going to give me the answer. Um, First thing first, what gets you out of bed every day? Coffee. What's your favorite question to ask somebody when you're interviewing them that makes you feel like you really get a sense of who they are?
1: Tell me about a difficult time in your life.
0: Is there a book that you come back to time and time again? Can be any type of book. Doesn't have to be a business book. Any book that has changed your life in some way.
1: The Talisman by Stephen King. I even have a signed copy by Stephen King.
0: I want to ask what your biggest pinch me moment to date with Marquetta has been. The moment where you really just came home and said, oh my God, today just happened. How?
1: November of 2011, when we made $4. It was our first revenue day. We made four bucks and I thought I had arrived.
0: I love that, that makes me so happy. Um, Last question is, other than Marquetta, is there some area of innovation, it can be outside of FinTech, it can be outside of payments, but just something that's also kind of gotten your brain on fire, some category of the future that you just find fascinating, and it could be a company, a product, anything you've seen in the last few years.
1: Um, So in full disclosure, it's actually a company I invested in, it's called Old Train Sports, and it trains kids for soccer.
0: Okay, I'm gonna ask one last question, super fast one. I think I already know your answer, but if you fast forward two years from today, how many days a week do you think Americans that have an option end up in an
1: office? Uh, I think it's three. Human beings are pack animals. They like being with each other. I think we're eventually all going to move back into offices because it's just, we're not built as human beings to be uh, alone. We're actually built to be together.
0: Jason, this has been absolutely delightful. You are just so energizing uh, to be able to chat with. Um, we're rooting for you in every way. Everybody out there, if you want to learn more about Marquetta, just head to marquetta.com and you can join us next week for Inc., the Founders Project with Alex Montobel. A sincere thank you, Jason.
1: Thank you so much, Alexa. This has been awesome.